So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And yes, we are staying doggedly, determinedly. Uh, uh, We're going to stay positive, aren't we, David? Right in the middle of all this. <laughs> yes, damn it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we should put damn it at the end of the Positive Sobriety Podcast name, Nate. It's going to now be the Positive Sobriety Podcast, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it takes it takes some work. It, it takes really, I think, some intention to stay positive. It does. When life is uncertain. Mm-hmm. And when rules that you're unaccustomed to are inflexible, if anything, seem to be getting stiffer all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah. I liken this to when my mom would send me to my room and I would say, how long do I have to stay in here anyway? And she'd say, until I say so. <laughs> 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 and, and you know, as a as an addict, I've never been a real fan of rules. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, or limits. Right. I also, I also, you know, there's a big part of me that believes I'm immortal. Oh, so, yeah. uh, right? Yeah. So accepting that this actually is an existential threat uh, that I'm not bulletproof. Yeah. Uh, and that I am not an island. That, right. right? That my health affects the health of those around me and vice versa. If anything, man, has this virus illustrated for us how we are all connected? Yeah. Yeah. Right? It is. I mean, you know, I mean, they always say that uh, the, the, I guess the best way to, to unite people is to have a common enemy. And mm-hmm. man, you know, if this isn't one, uh, I don't know what is because uh, it it's created a sense of community, at least in the areas that I am, you know, uh, exposed to. That yeah, yeah. People are speaking more, it seems like, or they're, you know, acknowledging one another, like, you know, a positive hang in there. Yeah. Um, can you hear me, David? I can. Yeah. Uh, I... Uh... It's amazing, even though Allie and I will take a walk downtown, uh, we try to do it every day when the weather's decent, and we keep a wide berth from the other walkers, and there are plenty out there these days, mm-hmm. uh, quite a few couples like us, and then some singles back and forth. Now, even though we, we keep a wide berth and we're six feet apart, and even though I, some of them are wearing masks outdoors, Right. Uh, I do wear a mask now. I've bowed to reality and wear a mask when I go indoors. But uh, even when somebody's wearing a mask, you can tell just by, uh, I guess, the rest of the faces. You can see that they're smiling. We're acknowledging one another. We're saying hi. We're waving. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of this wistful connection. We're all in this circumstance together. Yeah. Yeah, and and the consideration that it takes to live in community for everyone's greater good, yeah, uh, is something that I think we've all lost the practice of uh, yeah. trying uh, over yeah. you know time, um, and I I I feel I feel a sort of connection to people that I don't know just because we're all trying to protect one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I have found some release in monotonous, mindless activity. Mm. I bought I, I bought a pressure washer last week. Ah. And we've got it. We've got a fence, a wooden fence that goes around our property that's been neglected low these many years. Mm-hmm. And I'm determined to make it look like new, which is a time consuming process. Yeah. But uh, you know what? I'm actually looking forward to the three or four or yesterday, five hours that I'll spend outdoors cranking up the pressure washer, the deafening roar of the engine behind me. I can't hear anything else. It's just me, the fence, the water. Uh, and uh, I, I'm not doing a lot of cre- I'm creative thinking during that time. I just kind of put my brain on idle. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, if, to me, it's it's being it's therapeutic. Yeah, I think that this is a a much needed pause. Albeit, I'm not at all trying to put a silver lining on anything here at all. But yeah, um, I do think that if we can use this as a pause to reflect and to reassess how we're investing ourselves and some things in our lives, we might change if we could. Uh, this is a great yeah. time to be able to step back into life in a different way, because I do believe we're going to be, be facing a new normal, yeah. um, not an old normal. And that's, uh, that's always challenging and a little scary. It's interesting. I saw two kind of parallel storylines in the news this week. One was uh, the increase in alcohol use, porn use, uh, legal cannabis use, uh, during this period, but also the increase in online earning, uh, learning more and more people devoting this time to self-improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it almost, it seems to me as though that's kind of the choice, which way are you going to go? Are you going to step, you're going to lean in or lean out? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, escape the challenge or face the challenge and deal with it. As in the most constructive way you can. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a client yesterday and I said, the thing that I'm coming away with is that we have no control over the virus. I can, right. you know, wear a hazmat suit to Kroger and still, you know, I, whatever I encounter is going to be what I encounter, but I can control the way I use the time and, um, the way that I think about how I'm going to be constructive with what I do have, uh, because that's really the only thing I can control is what I do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure our listeners really want to hear our guests. They don't tune in to hear you and me. They tune in to, <laughs> to, to hear these amazing people who, uh, join us for, instructive and uplifting conversations. We've got another one on tap. Stay with us, friends. We'll be right back on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And uh, David, once again, you have brought a fascinating guest with a fascinating story. Rob Inbo. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and introduce him, if you will. Well, yeah. And this uh, came to me. I was not aware of Rob's story and his book. Uh, Rob is the author of a book uh, entitled uh, Before I Leave You. And uh, Rob has a really interesting story of um, how he wrote the book, the intentions with which he wrote the book. And we'll get to that uh, in a bit. But um, you know, he has a, a story that took him from, you know, growing up with a single mom and sleeping on the streets to becoming very successful in startup companies. He's met the queen, um, which I, I we at least have to ask uh, one question about that. I don't know, but that that fascinates me. But um, he's had some childhood trauma that when that became um, um, a present memory for him. It began a, uh, a, a binge into drugs and alcohol and, 
um, about a five year stint and, um, and then Rob turned things around and now shares his story, uh, works is very philanthropic and, um, certainly, uh, you know, with the book that he has written, uh, tells his story very freely and shares, um, a lot of information with a lot of people. So Rob, welcome to the positive sobriety podcast. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. That's quite the introduction. I, I think I need you <laughs> to help <laughs> write my bio. <laughs> well, you know, it's easier to promote other people than than myself. So I, I love to be able to kind of get all the good stuff in up front. And you're coming to us from Ottawa, Canada. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I was uh, just mentioned to, to Nathan that uh, it just started snowing about 20 minutes ago. Oh my Which gosh. We're not used to. We thought we were over it by now, but no, it's snowing. <laughs> oh my. Wow. Yeah. Here in, you know, early April, mid-April. Uh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So yeah, now that we let our, our listeners know this is being recorded in mid-April, actually the 8th, 9th of April. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I, I do have to ask you, Rob. Uh, are you all under stay-at-home quarantine order, uh, orders right now in Ottawa? What's we the are. Situation? We are. I mean, it's. I mean, the Canadian version, right? Right, where it's it's highly recommended, and generally everyone pretty much listens. Like all the parks are closed, and uh, yeah. we're 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 now wearing masks to go grocery shopping, and um, we're pretty lucky. I mean, I. I, I I caught it early, I guess. Not not the virus. I caught the, the wind of the virus early, and uh, it just kind of freaked me out. Um, and I just said, you know, it's kind of like Pascal's wager. I'm like, okay, let's just stay inside. And um, we have a three-year-old that we were going to, you know, gymnastics and swimming and um, this other little class thing. So we just sort of put that on pause about a month ago. And thankfully, we did. We we're very happy that we did. Oh yeah, nice. but wow. uh, yeah, right, right now we're pretty much stay at home. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty much everybody's story uh, here cool. as well. So, but but I'm I'm stuck in a house with my favorite people in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a good thing to be able to uh, say. Yeah, Rob, we've heard. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Rob, oh, can you guys hear me all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob. Um... We, uh, we we heard David do a quick thumbnail sketch of your life. I wonder if you can just uh, color in, inside the lines a little bit and tell us sure. uh, some of your story. What brought you to the place you are today? Um, so in the early stages of building um, my last startup, which has become a very large company um, that I've since left, um, but in those early stages, the memory of being raped as an eight-year-old boy kind of mm resurfaced something that I didn't really truly know was there. And, uh, it just, it blindsides me. Uh, and so I, I really don't know what to do with it. Um, I'm heavily addicted to work at that point, you know, cause that's what startup life is. Um, and I just, I turn away from everything. I, I leave my, my wife who I adored. Um, I just turned to drugs and alcohol. And if you knew me before then, I really wasn't interested in, in either, um, and I just, uh, kind of decide to end my life and I want to do so just sort of partying. So think leaving Las Vegas. I thought that was, I was very inspired by that movie where on the outside, my friends were thinking I was living my best life, but in the inside, I was just sort of biding my, my time. Um, but, and I hit a number of rock bottoms, uh, of course, wow. and I turn it around with a, a few epiphanies and a lot of, you know, um, so a couple of step forwards and, you know, 10 steps back and maybe one yeah. step forward and maybe eight steps back and just sort of just climb my way back to where I am now, which is, and important to know after hearing that, that I'm in, you know, I'm filled with abundance of joy and I'm like, I love life. And if you know me, I'm just, I do, I love every moment. I, you know, I have a gratitude journal and, you know, I, I look into my daughter's eyes and I just melt and um, and I savor every moment and I'm very present. Um, so it's important to know that, you know, it works out. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. But um, I and I, I was, you know, I was encouraged to share my story um, and uh, in that it could help people. And I really, really love that. And in writing the book has, I guess, its own story. But uh, that's when it turned into uh, uh, a book and why I'm here. 
Wow. Wow. And, wow. and Rob, you so, um, um, did you write the book intending to end your life after the book was written? Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't start. So I, I wanted, I, I turned to writing and I decided to write a kind of a secret goodbye to the people I love. And, and it was a, it was an explanation as to why I, I had decided it just because I, I wanted them to understand that living was too painful. And, um, mm. and in writing itself, I found solace and I turned to writing for the simple reason that I have always wanted to be a writer. You know, even in my teenage years, I, I, I had written a, a bunch of small short stories and a novella and that sort of thing. And I left it. And so I just, I just kept writing and writing itself became a therapy and that kept me around. Um, and, and in the early stages, I really didn't want to go to therapy just because why help myself if I'm going to end it. Um, but with, with the writing and writing is just amazing. You just, you see what you're thinking. You have to put it, you have to put them, put it to paper. And I, I, I say it's, it's kind of like therapy without being too vulnerable. Right. So only the pages knew my words and only the words knew my feelings. So, you know, nobody saw that, but I was able to express it. Um, and I think it was William James says, I'll tell you what I'm thinking when I can write it down. Uh, uh, I think that's yeah. very, very, very true. Right. Once you write things down, it, it's, I mean, for me anyway, it became that. Um, and then, uh, other forms of healing crept in. Um, my girlfriend, now wife, really turned me on to uh, meditation and some other techniques. And uh, and then I did find a therapist who, you know, um, uh, didn't put up with my bullshit and could see through it. And so, because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I went through a few therapists and I found someone that was just yeah, she she I stuck with her because she just uh-huh. couldn't she wouldn't she she would literally saying I'm not I'm not going to if you want to spend the money just to bullshitting me then we we don't need to continue. Um and she helped me tremendously. Oh, and yeah, cool. and when I en- ended up yeah, I, I shared the book with my my wife uh, and she said you have to share this with people and that's wow. when it became a book. Wow. Wow. So uh would you say that what got things rolling for you on the downward trajectory that almost took your life, uh, was that uh, PTSD from uh, trauma? Was yeah, that's, it, uh, yeah, that's exactly what um, my, my therapist said anyway. And, and I mean, I hate using the term, um, uh, well, I'm shy from using the term repressed memory, but I, I knew something happened, you know, I knew something happened in that room um, and it tormented me my entire life. It really informed who I became, how I behaved. Um, if you look at, I have all of my, uh, my report cards through school and you, you see it goes from bright, always participating, you know, joy to have to daydreaming doesn't show up as, you know, just uh, it turns into a problem. So I, I knew something had happened, something had changed my way. And I, I my therapist says it's just um, my eight-year-old mind couldn't deal with it, couldn't process it. So it just stored away. Um, it still came out, of course. It came out with every addiction I had. And, you know, and looking back, it definitely work was a part of that. Um, and when that memory came flooding back, it really came from kind of like a blurry photograph to you know, a full length, high definition 4k movie where I recognized and felt and smelled and, and heard every single moment of it. Um, and from, and almost from the outside looking in. Um, so yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And, and was there a, an event or a, um, you know, a, a, something that, that triggered the, uh, the repressed, for you know, lack of a better word, like you said, uh, memory to manifest itself. How did it just um, just present itself uh, so clearly? I, I think at at you know, just in hindsight, the macro level, uh, I had everything. I had built you know my first successful startup. You know, I had the house, the the you know the cars, the the wife. 
I, I checked all the boxes that I believed would bring me happiness. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I started to be comfortable. And uh, I think I, I was 37 or 38 at the time. And um, we re- I think we were even thinking of um, having kids with my, with my wife. And, and on the micro level, I was just reading a book. And in the book was describing um, uh, the, it was a, the stoning of a woman. Um, and uh, I'm reading this and I'm, I'm just shaking my head. And I'm telling, explaining this to my, describing it to my wife. And then saying, I can't believe that, that he did that to a little boy. And she said, what? And I said, and I said, what? Why would I say that? And then it just sort of came flooding back to me. It was like wow. a tidal wave in the room, and wow. ran to the washroom. Was catatonic on the floor for two days, and uh, I couldn't articulate what had just happened. My wife just sort of held me there, and um, and through the the course of the next few weeks, I just sort of decided to end my life. And at the same time. I was invited to go to Las Vegas. Um, I'd never been, had never been interested in going uh, for a bachelor party. And um, I was, <laughs> and we drank a lot. And I, I talk a lot about, you know, that, that weekend and got into ecstasy and cocaine and, you know, and with ecstasy, everything's right in the world. You know, right. I, you know, for a few hours, life is so great. Um, and uh, the come downs are, excruciating um you know crying in airplane bathrooms and and trying to claw claw my way back into to to life um but uh i I was chasing that and that's what i I chased for the better part of five years wow wow i've got to hear uh i've got to hear how you met the queen of england i mean that's just too juicy a story (laughs) (laughs) what happened um it in building, I guess I took on a partner halfway through my first startup, um, a good friend of mine who uh, I boxed with. This is going to be a, a longer story maybe, but um, he founded a, um, a charity event that had white collar folks or, or you know local celebrities get in the ring and box. So we, we owned a boxing gym together as well. We met boxing and uh, that grew to be a, a pretty big fundraiser so we raised mm-hmm. you know hundreds of thousands of dollars probably over a million dollars now uh, for our uh, cancer foundation uh, I, I in the second year I co-chaired it and helped you know bring some funding and and help marshal along and with that work and because uh, my my family was very very touched by cancer it's, it's cancer five my my, fa- my family's zero and um, so I, I really got into that uh, the fundraising, and the Cancer Foundation asked me to take part on their on their board. Just sort of, I can bring you know an entrepreneurial pers- perspective to you know uh, an older, um, very big organization, but an older thinking organization. And with that work, they just invited me. They said, you know, the Queen's coming, and um, we think you're doing great work. So come and meet her. And that's how it happened. Wow. And uh, so you had to, uh, I, I guess, be advised of all the protocol that uh, <laughs> is involved in um, not doing and doing the appropriate things with uh, in her presence. I've never experienced that before. It's, you know, I'm, I, you know, come from, I guess, modest beginnings, and uh, and I truly believe people are just people, and you can approach anybody. So, mm-hmm. in building the business, I'd call up vice presidents of you know large corporations, and they would answer, and you just be honest, and you're gonna be, this is what I can think. Oh, okay, this is a shitty idea. Okay, no, this is a great idea. Okay, let's do it. And that that so to be like, okay, well, uh, if she looks you in the eye, you can smile, you can say hello. Uh, unless she extends her hand, you cannot extend yours. Cause it's rude. Um, you, mm-hmm. yeah, only a son and, and they watch you and they make sure, and they have like a hand on you and it's, yeah, it's very, it's very, <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah. And at the time, yeah. Yeah. Like at the time, I think I was hung over. And just, yeah, just in a different world. I'm like, why am I here? And definitely, you know, the, um, um, what do they call it? the uh i just don't believe i'm worthy of it so but so it's just a mind trip going in there yeah. but it's cool yeah, yeah she was very nice <laughs> well 
there you go. Wow. Uh, I've got to ask you, uh, Rob, you made a decision that you were going to end your life, but you were going to do it in a you, you had a plan. Uh, you wanted to explain yourself first. There was some writing to do, some things to do to get it, uh, get things lined up before you said goodbye. But uh, you were on a track. Uh, what prompts my thinking right now is I've seen that during this pandemic period, suicide rates are up. Uh, also, of course, drug use is up, uh, alcohol use is up, porn use is up. Um, what is it like uh, you had to, you couldn't tip your hand, right, to let anybody know what you were planning. Right. Uh, what is it like to live with that sort of uh, your planned objective that you have to keep secret. Um, and, and uh, yeah, what is it like to live daily, not just with suicidal ideation, but suicidal pre-planning or planning? Hmm. That's a great question. I think it, it, I, I, I was always overly positive. Um, mm -hmm. and it, I'd make a game out of people asking me how I was and I, I wouldn't settle for a fine or a good. I'd always make up a word, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm outstanding. I'm fantastic. Yeah. I'm first rate, you know, just make up yeah, the yeah. ridiculous saying and people think, people think, uh, I, I'm great. Um, uh, just happy. And on the other level, on another level, when things got bad, I can just shrug my shoulders in my mind to just be like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm gone anyway. And, yeah. um, and a lot of it, so it just sort of takes, I don't know if you've, there, there's a new f uh, TV show called afterlife with Ricky Gervais is very much like that. You know, yeah. he's decided to end his life so he doesn't care. And he's like, it's like having a superpower. I mean, uh, it, he, he sheds, you know, obviously humor on it. It's very much like that. It's very much, you know, I just, I just don't care about those things. But on the flip side, I cared a lot about a lot of things because I, I wanted to tie those ends. I, and I talk about this in the book. I, I really, I didn't want to, to add insult to injury to the people I loved. I didn't say that, you know, they're going to lose, you know, a loved one, um, a business partner, a son, a brother to, to suicide. I don't want to leave a bunch of shit behind for them to clean up. Um, right. I, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, they have all the passwords as said in my chapter one, everyone who needs the right passwords, um, will, can get them. And, you know, I even wanted to wrap, um, some work stuff. So I'm not leaving my partners in a lurch. Um, so it, it's very, it's very much top of mind all the time, but it was almost a relief half of the time yes. and, and and at the worst of times i just popped a few pills um mm. you know i was playing at, at the worst of times it's four or five nights a week i was high in ecstasy and um it's a very messed up drug like it's not chemically addictive but it's emotionally addictive and when you're doing it that much you don't know which way is up emotionally so i don't know if i'm happy or sad i don't know if i like this person or i don't i don't know what's real but it's very conscious, so I know that I don't know it's real. <laughs> like I'm, I, I don't know who I am. Um, and I, and I, I would go from speaking to a graduating class at a college to not being able to hold a meeting with four people. I just wow. had no confidence uh, in my own company. I just uh, had zero, zero confidence. And um, there is a level of anxiety because the lies were so thick. Um, and I needed to remember what lie I told him. Right. And that was a, that was a big, big, big thing. And when I finally got to therapy, that was the, the, the I think the second thing I brought up, I'm like, yeah, I have to deal with my trauma. I, I have to deal with who I, who I've become that I don't respect and I don't love. And I ha I'm a world-class bullshit artist. And I don't want to be. I, I really don't want to be. I want to be myself. <laughs> um, yeah. And and it's funny yeah. to get there. I interviewed five different therapists and I just laid on a bunch of, you know, BS. I just sort of just <laughs> lied, blatantly lied. I, 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 one, one therapist, I, I, uh, I fall, I fall romantically in love with horses. 
you know, it's something about them. And <laughs> this moment, like, this poor, poor woman, she just like, just like, didn't know what to do. And she accepted it and didn't question it. And it was so ridiculous. And I, 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 I added these like things that didn't make sense. One lie couldn't hold up another where I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I can't stay here. If either she's not going to call me on it or she's not seeing it either way. I don't want her until I found, uh, Anne, um, and who's like a double PhD and way, way smarter than me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and who literally in our first message is our first session is like, yeah, if you want to sit there and be full of shit and it's, you know, it's a really expensive waste of time for both of us. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I kept her. <laughs> well, good for her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, she was great. She's so, so wonderful. She's since retired and I found someone else uh, as great, but um, yeah, she was great. Yeah. Well, Rob, do you, um, do you think that your compulsion to work and be, you know, your drive to succeed, your work, uh, ambition, all those things were your way of pushing back that, that, uh, unconscious memory or, um, or was that just, you were, you just a driven person and maybe that was part of a, uh, an already compulsive personality. Um, do you think it had anything to do with trying to protect yourself for a while from the memory? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. Um, I think there's uh, a little bit of both, but a large, probably a larger segment is um, of just stuffing that down. I, I, I would work easy 80, 100 hour weeks and mm-hmm. um, sacrifice just my personal relationships and not, not really caring about that. And that's a, you know, that's, that's a win-win and for, yeah. for someone who's trying to not live. And, and this is before, you know, um, like too much the smartphones and internet, <laughs> right. This is the early stages, right. uh, of those. I, I, and even before startups, I was working in retail in Foot Locker, uh, which, you know, a job that I loved, you know, in, in my twenties. Um, but I was, I, I worked, I worked my ass off. I led the country in sales in, in a smaller, uh, market, which is unheard of what, what I've done. Mm. I just sort of just really, really good. But I, and I tasted success, you know, uh, making my 27 K year thought thinking this is life, you know, I, yeah, I'm getting yeah. kudos and getting awards and stuff. Um, and then I wanted a bit more because I thought that was going to bring, you know, the happy, um, I'll eventually I'll just work and make enough. And then, you know, uh, uh I'll, I'll figure out, this is how I'm supposed to live my life. You know, this is my, you know, the, the template mm-hmm. and clearly <laughs> I think it, it, it definitely was not. And at every stage and even at home, if it was, it was porn or if it was, you know, sex or, um, anything that I could distract me, I, I definitely used, uh, I, I just, I didn't like alcohol back then and ended up liking it very much, probably a little too much, yeah. uh, afterwards. Um, and so, and I mean, I do on the, on the other side, I do have a little bit of compulsive I guess personality I've, I turned, but I, I've made it positive. So I became obsessed with nutrition. I became, you know, obsessed, get off my ass and get, get to the gym. Cause I lost 60 something pounds, uh, from that time to this wow. and, I, and, and obsessive. And I guess there is a, you know, there's a little neuroses there. I'm like, okay, I, I was introduced to meditation. I'm like, I, I want to learn more. Um, uh, about meditation. And now I, I, def- I, I've adopted a Buddhist practice where I really love that framework for living right. and kindness. And, um, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and that didn't work out. And only now through Buddhism, am I discovering the positivity about Christianity? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. I, and it's Thich Nhat Hans, you know, living Buddha, living Christ. You're like, okay, well, right. you know, a good, good, good Christian is a, is a good Buddhist and, and vice versa. And, um, uh, I've really adopted those practices and I love those practices. So, so yeah. I guess long answer to, yeah, I do have a, a bit of compulsion, but, um, I do this to nourish my body and soul, um, as opposed to destroy it. Yeah. 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 Uh, Rob, was there some sadness that you felt in giving up the comfort of knowing that you, that your plan to end your life? I've heard it said that, you know, one of us, uh, sometimes, uh, a sign that somebody is close to suicide is that they suddenly seem okay. 
they've made a decision. They're not wrestling anymore. They now know what they're going to do. And uh, it throws the uninitiated observer off because now suddenly this person who seemed to be in a lot of emotional turmoil is fine. And they're fine because they made a decision. So you had made a decision to end your life. You were very systematic about it. Uh, You didn't want to hurt anybody. Um, Eventually you had to give up that plan. What was it like deciding to pick up life with all its challenges and difficulties again and do it differently? That's yeah. You said it really at that at the end. It it became well another um, grieving process in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I very purposely spent everything I had and um, got it and was into debt. Like I had no money left. I was actually owing the government tax back taxes um, mm-hmm. purposely. Right? <laughs> you know, I can't take it yeah. with me. I was just pissing it away in Vegas or, or wherever. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I no longer had that get out of jail free card. Right. Um, I, I, I uh, now I have to live <laughs> for some reason. I, I just sort of the first step was admitting that I didn't want to die, and and mm. there was you know uh, one point that I said you know what I really don't want to lie die, and for weeks and months afterwards, it's asking myself, okay, well, what does living look like now? Um, I don't want to go back to what I have been doing um, and it, my entire life. It, this is extending beyond the drugs and alcohol. I don't want to be fully at work all the time either. I, I, I want to live uh, a quote-unquote boring life. And um, it, it really, a lot of things lined up for me. And so we... I broke up my, with my girlfriend in order to, but you know, I have to get a, you know, shit or get off the pot. I need to go through this. And we broke up and she moved to a different city. And, uh, a few weeks later I decided just, uh, okay, I'm just going to go and figure things out. And it was at, I, we drove down to Walden because <laughs> I had, an, oh, it is a, nice. I had a fascination with, with throw since, um, yeah. since high school. Um, and, uh, and I went, I drove through the city that, uh, my my wife was living, or my girlfriend, or ex-girlfriend at the time was living in. And she said, can I come with you? I said, well, I'm just going to drive. I don't even know where I'm going. And so we drove for six days together. And, you know, uh, it was at Walden in that, in the water itself, where I just like, I admitted fully, like, I, I don't want to die. And I have, to, I have to figure this, I have to figure life out. And um, she came back to live in the same city, not together anymore. And we just sort of figure things out. And uh, we weren't together, but we went out to a wedding and we got engaged. I just said, you know what? I just, I just, I, I, I want to move forward and I think we should get married. And she said, okay, but no more parties, no more penthouse. We're going to live in the suburbs. We're going to chill out. We're, we're going to have that boring life that we talked about so many times in our come downs <laughs> and our, yeah. and our, you know, it's just picturing, you know, her face looking at me you know, on a Monday or Tuesday morning after a, a bender, it's just like, I just want a boring life. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want all this because it, from the outside looking in, you know, it looks very glamorous, but, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, so yeah, so we got married and moved to the suburbs and we slipped, we slipped a lot, you know, we, we went out still. I mean, we were living that context, right? That was our friends <laughs> at the time, right. our only social, you know, escape where were the friends that, you know, want us to go out and party and stuff. So we just sort of cut that off slowly. And uh, yeah, I mean, we slipped now that probably slipped for about a year and then she got pregnant. And then the, the moment she said that, uh, it's like, I think we're pregnant. I'm like, okay, I guess it's zero tolerance from now on. Yeah. Nice. And, 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 that, and we haven't looked back, you know, that was four, almost four years ago now. Um, mm. and, and yeah, I, uh, we, fa- I fast forward a little bit and, um, I was able to sell off enough shares to retire and raise, uh, raise our, our daughters together. So, um, so we're, that was our first, we have a two month old in the house now. Oh, and, man. uh, so, uh, yeah, we you know, just sort of, yeah, bought a nice little house, went traveling for a bit. And uh, that's when I wrote the book. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, Rob, uh, so how now are you spending time 
and um, using your time. I know that you uh, do a lot of uh, philanthropic things, but uh, as far as recovery and, and the world that you have found um, so much value in and change uh, that changed you, uh, your your contemplative practices and so forth. How are you spending your time now with regard to all of that? Well, I mean, other than the quarantine jail, pre-virus, let's maybe say, you know, perfect in our better case scenario, uh, right? <laughs> pre, yeah, pre-virus and pre-pre-newborn. Um, I, I got, uh, I was, I would get up with, um, with, with my daughter and uh, my, my wife's more of a night owl. I'm, I'm an early person, so I take care of the daughter, my daughter, uh, for the first couple hours. I hand her off to my wife, where you know I can do either my writing um and working out and, and what that so most of my most of my time is is writing right now um this book launch has kind of uh taken up a, a lot and uh, i i'm working with uh the center uh for treatment for adults for childhood trauma and uh which is the half the proceeds of the book are going to um, oh, wow. uh, so I, I i entered into a men's group there as well so i'm also a client um and uh, I that's what I've been directing towards is is, is helping the center and uh, now I'm with that men's group and that's been tremendous. It's been so amazing. So I I never got the opportunity to well probably had the opportunity but I never took the opportunity to to do a twelve step program. Um, and I, I I really wish I'd I had. Um, I think so. Think I wasn't brave enough to be to be vulnerable. Um, but checking, I, I think in hindsight, I check all those boxes and I'm, yeah. I'm realizing so much value in, in that men's group and, um, it, it's been amazing. So, um, and I also, I'm, I'm learning to, um, how to accept sharing. So in my book, I'm pretty vulnerable. I really, I, you know, I'm pretty, uh, pretty open on, on what happened and, and all of my healing and how I, I got there. And, um, a, like I did a pre-release uh, with about 200 people and 30%, I would say shared trauma with me. Right. And, yeah. Um, and I, I was warned about that. Uh, I guess I warned I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, so I really wanted to know how to a accept it properly, know what to do with it, how to respond, and and how to help, and, and that's what I'm doing now. Just sort of uh, as much as I as I can now that it's open, more people are are sharing. Um, I reached out to um, Theo Fleury. He's uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar. He's one of the best NHL players of all time, and he was a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was raped uh, 150 times by one of his coaches when and he was a teenager, and wow. it, it just was a huge thing. And other you know players came forward, and now he's a huge advocate, um, very you know public speaker, and he, and he helps. And uh, I reached out to him, and we had a long conversation, and he. You know, I th- I'm so grateful for him to doing this. He's just like Rob. People are going to come at you, and they're going to come at you um, sometimes with blame, and sometimes you know from a bad place. And you need to know how to how to help as many as you can. And it's sadly so prevalent, you know, a childhood abuse it, that um, knowing that you can't help everyone is a trauma. You know, it, yeah. it's really difficult. You not don't know um, what to do with it. So uh, I just sort of prepared myself um, as much as I could. I, I listed every single uh, distress center number on my website in North America. So both of our countries. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Google's there, but I have it all in one place if 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 need be. Um, and the rest is just responding, working with uh, my therapist and the center, and um, uh, as much as much as I and this like right here, this is a platform where I can share. And, um, and if someone wants to, to reach out and share, then, you know, I'm more willing to, to, to listen and respond. Um, this is part of it. I, I feel. Yeah. Nice. Nice. How will our listeners find you online? Um, I bought a better domain name than my name. Cause my name is difficult to spell. I bought before I leave you.com. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's- 
because say Rob Imbo and you're like, oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, before I leave you.com is, is the website. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, as we, as we go to wrap here, I would like to, this is the positive sobriety podcast. We really like to pay attention uh, in a deliberate way, not just to what we're not going to do, but to what we are going to do in recovery that, that enriches life. So uh, what's your uh, kind of strategy for positive sobriety? What do you, uh, what, what are the practices that you have in place, the attitudes that you cultivate to keep uh, life going in a positive direction? Um, my, my morning routine is, is my anchor. Um, I, I get up, um, <laughs> it's a little difficult now with the newborn, but um, I, I still get it in every day, which is I, I have a gratitude journal and mm. I, I write the things I'm grateful for. It's very simple and writing them down. I write them in cursive. If yeah. ever, if anyone remembers that, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I I write you know a couple of Buddhists uh, uh, pr- uh, poems which mean a lot to me. Um, I have an affirmation and they're v- it's very very simple. It just says I love and respect myself, and I I thought that was woo woo for the longest time, but when I started doing it um, and I wrote it down, I felt like a liar. So uh, mm-hmm. I was like I don't love and respect myself. So, okay, well, why, how can I fix it? You know? Um, and, uh, eventually I get to a place where I do love and respect myself and I, and I do. So just writing it down held me accountable (laughs) to myself. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's affirmations. I would, I probably dismissed that for 45 years. Mm -hmm. Um, um, one big thing I, I believe and it's and we all know it's not one thing. It's all it's all the things that help us, or any things that uh, many things that can help us. But one truism that I really that really cl- hold close to my heart is treating yourself like you would treat the person you love most in this world. Like if 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 my daughter drops a glass in the kitchen, and I will I will be okay. Stay still. Are you okay? All right. I'm just going to rescue you. I'm going to clean it up. I'm so glad you're safe. I love you. If I drop a glass in the kitchen, you freaking mm-hmm. idiot. What are you doing? Yeah. 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 That doesn't make sense. Right. So right. I, I and, and I still do it, but I'm, I'm catching myself more and more. I'm like, no, I, I need some, I want to make sure I'm okay, you know, and it's just a glass. Um, right. You know, it's sort of just sort of put it where it is. And I think when you remind yourself, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I'm worthy of that. And you start treating yourself that way. I think that's a, it's a huge one. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, it has been such a joy to spend time with you. You've been generous with your time. Thank you, Rob. The book again is Before I Leave You, available um, uh, online. uh, Available, yeah. I mean, everywhere. There's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads. um, Yeah. Uh, all the good stuff. There's the audio book, too, that we just released on iTunes and Audible and all the places where you find those things. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Rob, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your time, for your um, just uh, vulnerability and honesty and, uh, and, and sharing with our listeners what it felt like to be you in a very dark place, because I know that uh, there are many people that are going to hear this and, um, and they're going to have a, you know, for good or for bad, it's, they're going to, they're going to relate to exactly that place uh, that you found yourself. And I know this will be encouraging to people. That's wonderful. And, and anyone that who fear that their loved ones are, are going through that, you know, the, how to, to, to give a safe space. Um, I'll, th- and guys, thank you um, for this show. This is, this is wonderful. You're doing amazing work here. Um, uh, I've been listening to quite a few episodes now, so it's, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nate, I so appreciated Rob's candor and his honesty about how it felt 
to have such a uh, decided idea of how he was going to end his life that he intentionally would write a book knowing that at the end of it, he would have a plan to no longer be here. And the things that changed him, I I just found the whole thing so refreshing and encouraging because um, suicide is such a, it's, it's such a, a hard subject to talk about, first of all, and it hits so many people on so many levels um, because of experiences that people have had with family members or loved ones and, and even our own thoughts in our darkest uh, places. And I really hope that the listeners can find some takeaways here that, that allow them to say, if I'm in that spot, there's hope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do hope that anyone touched on an emotional level, a deep level, if there is a kind of a personal connection that you made with Rob during this conversation, that you won't let that thing evaporate, but go ahead and act now. Go to uh, beforeileaveyou.com and make a connection with Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and uh, also... While you're there, drop us a note. Even if you're not going to write to Rob, write to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at Positive Sobriety Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. Love the letters. Well, David, another week. Yeah, another week. You're busy in the practice. Yes, uh, still. Samson Society. Yeah, Samson Society is cranking right along. I will t- I'm so glad that the Samson Society started its online meetings when it did a couple years ago mm-hmm. uh, because those meetings now are multiplying at a rapid rate. More and more guys coming through the door and finding real companionship and honest conversation and help at samsonsociety.net. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that wraps it for this week. We've got another great guest coming up next week. So until then, I'm Nate. I'm David. We are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 